0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: You are listening to Art Not Science. Presented by The Physics Room Contemporary Art Space, a monthly podcast of artist talks, panel discussions, and other
2: events. Tēnā tato katoa. no mai hoki mai kōrero, or The Physics Room. No mai whakarongo mai mai. My name is Abby Kanane and I'm the Director of The Physics Room. A contemporary art space dedicated to developing and promoting contemporary art and critical discourse in Aotearoa. Based in central Tahi since 1996, we assist artists with resources and opportunities to enable creative and professional development and work to support the acknowledgement and understanding of contemporary art among New Zealanders. Our goal is to actively seek links between the arts and other areas of cultural production and to involve art as a contributing voice in wider intellectual, social, and political debate oh my hooky my welcome to episode 39 of art not science in this episode we'll be sharing two special events first up we'll be sharing an artist talk from the moon and the pavement our current off-site exhibition at ashburton art gallery hakateri the talk introduces the work of teresa collins yukari kaihori susu and sam taus whose works take a hyperlocal or extreme close-up perspective on commonplace materials and surfaces this floor-based exhibition asks that we move with a different kind of awareness attentive to both the everyday earthy matter that surrounds us into more feral queer or space-bound fantasies in the second half of this episode i'll be sharing a reading from our new publication heavy trees arms and legs which launched on thursday the 8th of September. This publication was developed following the Physics Room exhibition of the same name by Nicola Farquhar and Sarawat Tsong at the Suta Art Gallery Te Aratoi or Whakutu in April 2021. The book contains contributions from myself, Nicola Farquhar, Gregory Kahn, Sarawat Tsong and Rebecca Tomas, alongside graphic design by Eugene Shin, and is now available to purchase through the Physics Room's online shop and gallery. So welcome to the Moon and the Pavement, this is our, our exhibition space. For a little context, so the Physics Room, for anyone who's not familiar with the Physics Room, we're based in the centre of Christchurch City, and over the past, we actually perhaps right since the beginning, in the Physics Room was South Island Art Projects in the 90s, I believe. Part of their mandate, their core idea, was about sharing art throughout the whole of Te Waipoe and advocating for... Or contemporary art and for the the greater kind of motto so that's something that in different ways the directors of what, what became the physics room have, have maintained we've always had these off-site projects and for myself i've been with the physics room for two years now So this is the second one of these projects into waiponomu and they're really special and interesting part of what we do we're so used to like being at home in christchurch and being the host in that sense and this relationship has been a really special one and in turn been really amazing to invite artists from elsewhere too. So Yukari and Susu are both living in Tāmaki at the moment, and as I mentioned, Teresa Collins is living in Pōneki. So with this project, I think maybe we start for one second with the title. For me, what rooms, the works in this room for the most strongly is this idea of looking very closely at something that might be a very banal, very everyday, very familiar sight, and the way that that opens up a space into A site of discovery or something surreal, something imagined, something fictional. And in turn, how sometimes communicating across distance or trying to relate to each other across distances, there can be a very particular type of intimacy or closeness that can come in that space. Quite a big idea, and as you'll see, these practices are quite diverse. I think those words intimacy and distance, or perhaps you could sub in like the moon and the pavement, something very intimately known, perhaps so much you don't even look at it, and something very distantly perceived like the moon it's something about that there are types of relationships between those two that's uh, that i was interested in but it's much more interesting if we talk more specifically about the work so i might start by maybe if we just go left to right and i wondered if you would like to each introduce yourselves and maybe touch on a key idea or ideas from when you practice
3: cool. yeah. I live in Tamaki and I'm currently in my honors year of my bachelor's of finance at ELAMS. I moved to Tamaki when I was 15 from Taiwan and I'm from Taichung. And currently my practice is circled around the action of traveling and also the emotions that are of, often overlooked in, the, in this action of traveling and the reason why people will want to leave certain things behind to explore new things and yeah
2: thank you
1: mm. hello my name is Sam I live in Otatahi I've recently graduated from the School of Fine Arts uh, over at Island. my work deals predominantly with the urban landscape I'm really interested in Infrastructure and concrete and um, rocks and fine material and detritus. Yeah, I'm just I'm interested in taking from observations of these spaces and, and making from them and making with them. Hello, uh,
0: Kia ora. I'm Yukari and I'm based um, in Tamaki Makoro, same with Susu. And I'm just doing my first year um, Dr. degree at uh, Idam Fine Arts. In my practice in recent few years has been about very site-specific walks, so studying the site of the exhibition space and immediacy of the environment, and making works in response to the environment or the hyperlocality. And my research is about object and sort of like modern human world, so objectness and thingsness
2: and how you relate to your space. Thank you. It's quite hard to eh? just, like, sort a <laughs> big practice, in yeah. That. Yeah, but I thought you did amazingly. I think if we just zero in straight into the works that we see in this room, I wondered if you could each talk about what you've made, why you made it, who you made it for, maybe touch on how you made it, but what, why, and who for?
3: So my work over here is great floor projection. <laughs> It's called Remember to Dive and the Chinese title for that is shui which roughly translates back to English meaning like Return tide, Dive and for this work I worked in 3D renderings using a game engine called Unreal Engine I started doing renderings and animations when COVID first hit and I remember I was doing a sculpture paper and we had to go online. So that's when I first started modeling things and getting to digital operations because I kind of have no choice and uh, now I'm <laughs> kind of still doing it. But in this work, in my mind, I'm kind of framing it as a as an action of diving into these really close memories that you sort of get to activate through certain actions, through certain experiences and often when you get into a state of memory dive in your head it's it's often forceful like you have no choice but you have to think about these memories in your head and you have to activate this type of action in your head and part of this work is very much inspired by Formosa on White Street. <laughs> Just two Yeah, because we, we yes. came down. Yeah, shout out to Formosa. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember coming down in May for our research trip. Mm. And after visiting the gallery, we were looking for a place to have dinner in Abbey. saw so Formosa, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because Formosa was the Portuguese name for the island of Taiwan. Mm. back. In the 17th century, I wondered if I wonder if it's Taiwanese food No be the it is It is. Turns out it was. And I was like, this is great. And I had, I had we had this amazing meal, and I had mm-hmm. this amazing Taiwanese cuisine that I personally haven't been able to find a good one in Tamaki Auckland. Okay. And I was so blown away by having these amazing food that just you know activate these nostalgic. Um, parts of me that is the reaction to these food is so Mm. physical but also in my head they're very metaphysical and they're very i didn't have a choice but Mm. but but to you know revisit my links with these tastes so that a huge part of this work Mm. came from that experience and
2: can i just ask um would you want to be specific about some of the some of those memories that were activated or Mm. to speak a little bit more about Mm them
3: basically i was writing about some of the memories that I was thinking about after the research trip. And one of them was this dainty of the ground, the soil called Thu Because I remember I was writing about being in the restaurant and I was writing about the menu. And the menu at the time, mm-hmm. at the back of the menu, had these uh, letters of a Thu temple. So to Go in Taiwan he's probably one of the most common dainty that people would go to for blessing in terms of occupying a space or a ground. Mm-hmm. And so one of the memories I talked about in the was me talking about throwing into not trying to not throw up into my sister's toilet. Mm-hmm. And that's actually from when my sister first moved to her new apartment. We were supposed to go visit the local Tutigong Temple before spending the first night there. And our mom has been like, reminding us to do that, but we were like, okay, we can go at a later day, it'll be fine. But then I went into Yira that night for like a... I had some kind of food poisoning that night. So I was like throwing up a lot into my sister's new toilet and she has this whole new place. And I was like laying down at a ER yard with my, with the IV back and I was just like lying there like oh my god, we should have gone to the temple. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is insane, like what's happening to me. Yeah.
2: Thank you for sharing that. Mm. <laughs> <Like> toilet vanity. <vomiting. laughs> what about you, Sam? Do you want to talk a bit about your works? Yes.
1: So my works are the islands, the sort of concrete islands in the space. The title is Loose Stones, uh, Speckled Skin. And they kind of came to be through another, what I call a fence in town, but maybe it's not so much a fence. It's quite similar to these objects. It's sort of these, yeah, these concrete fences or barriers in a, in a parking lot. And they've got, similarly, they've kind of they got these embedded objects. So the work kind of came to be through just my intrigue in them and the strangeness of them. And I didn't do a lot of research into them. Uh, I kind of just presumed that they came to be through like one person that they were kind of making in a similar fashion to then what I ended up doing and they were taking from the landscape and taking these familiar objects and building or constructing some kind of a surreal space within them that was supposed to be reminiscent of a city and kind of supposed to be decorative but also these really utilitarian objects in them and so yeah I guess I use that as a kind of formula in my work look to the
2: city and look to the objects within it
1: and yeah fashioned kind of similar <laughs> yeah.
2: And when it comes to the, to, to the objects that are embedded in them, all the things that are placed on top, can you talk a little bit about the choices you made, like why those things? I know you weren't seeking to like replicate that original site. For me, I looked a lot
1: to the footpath throughout my making. I was really interested, I guess, again, like Christchurch
2: City, there's, there's a rebuild going on.
1: It's kind of hard to avoid that and talking about that in my work, I think. And there are these real abrupt sort of junctions between this old sort of crumbling away footpath and these, these new newly paved or asphalted spaces and I just really enjoy it. I really enjoy looking at it and I really enjoy sort of experiencing those spaces. So yeah, it was, it was I mean there are sort of ruptures in a lot of these islands that I was thinking along similar lines um, and the found
2: objects, they're all what I imagine that you'd find loose throughout Christchurch. You yeah, said something <laughs> amazing to me today about um, thinking about that original site that you've sort of taken inspiration from and then Wanting Thank to make you. like did you say a memorial or wanting to record all these things in a kind of permanent way, given that the city's constantly undergoing these changes. Yeah, I guess I suppose it's about like cementing
1: these these objects and it's setting them in stone or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, giving giving a real space to them and giving a real lifting them up a bit and, and
2: so we put a look at them also I know there are a lot of things that you thought about putting in and then you decided not to can you talk about the decision to like these all seem like um, (coughs) objects or pieces of material that are quite hard to place in terms of a category
1: I collected a whole bunch of stuff and a lot of them were like pavers or um, cobblestones or like I mean you'd find them around the city Um, but I kind of I sort of had to start setting rules for the work and and rules for the objects and it became quite important for me to navigate the space between fiction and non-fiction and I think like it was important that the objects were treated in a way that felt right to the objects. I didn't want to set cobblestones into them because they're not typically set in concrete, you know, like it became it sort of became about navigating the truth to the object and no, that's probably
2: not the right word, but treating them
1: in the way that they're sort of meant to be treated.
2: Yeah, almost like outside of the rules that would apply to pavers, for example, already mm-hmm. have a utility in the city they're like mm-hmm. almost magical items out of context. How about you, Yuki? <laughs>
0: So I have a quite a few walks in this show, <laughs> <laughs> and it's dispersed everywhere. So maybe if you carefully look at your feet, around your feet, you can find a few stuff. Mm-hmm. So when we first came here for a research trip, I kind of walked around inside the space and outside, walked around the mains and like trying to connect to the place. But the tiles outside of this gallery, is made up with pebbles. And it's really beautiful. So I wanted to sort of remake the tiles, but I wasn't sure where the people are from, you know, those stones, or originally from somewhere. They all have, uh, you know, their origins. But we don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff day to day. So I find that tile fascinating, and I find out um, Ashburton City does this amazing recycle of glasses. So City Glasses, they sent the collected glasses up to Auckland, and I found it out and went to the collection site. So made this glass tile that's on the right of Abbey right now. So it's kind of like relating to the tile outside. It's sort of collection of materials that you don't know where it goes or where it comes from. And it's in our mundane environment that we don't really know where it comes from or we don't pay attention to. Mm. But I thought that relationship was really interesting. Um, so I have another one actually downstairs between outside tile and in between doors when you come in. And another thing was when I walked to Domain, I found so many Western trees. And one of the trees I found was a like huge oak tree. And it was planted after World War I by this mother who lost um, sons in the war. And it had an acorn, and the tree was, like, 99 years old. So I picked up some leaves and made the cast of acorns in a pewter. And I was, like, researching all these Ash Barton news articles, and pewter was used to be such a precious, you know, items. And so many people bought it from Europe. So I just wanted to make some precious, like, acorns, like a replica, and sort of, like, disperse it in the galleries. At the same time, I find this article about aluminium that was used to be such a new material, and they are talking about its a future of material, and I find that quite fascinating. Oh, so when we did the research trip, we had this exhibition downstairs about agat. So this local guy was collecting, I don't know if anyone had made it to the show, but there's so many like, beautiful agate. And I didn't know it was a thing in Christchurch or the Ashburton or around the river here. So I decided to make the sort of uh, cast object of the agate. So one is original and one is sort of like the future. It's sort of playing, playing with the time. Because like material like agat is geological matter that takes thousand years to form. And we can just kind of pick it up and like, admire it. But at the same time, it's like beyond our hands, Mm -mm. that relationship is a time and object. So I thought it was really interesting that one material is kind of like our future and one is very old, Mm -hmm. but it's beyond our control. And there's no way like we can get there. So I sort of play with the environment a lot. So there are other plants, matters I collected from domain and made with pewter. And oh in the clay tiles, as you come into this room, they are made with a recycled paper. but I collected the uh, wood ashes from curator of Ashburton and sort of made the graze in trying to
2: match the you know, low quality into the space. You Yukari, I always felt like your work was trying to escape out the gallery. Like, during the yeah. installation week, it was always like yeah. traveling out down the stairs and then something would be outside, mm. and it was like going back to the Domain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel that way? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I was like, after this show, what would I
0: do with all this like natural materials? And like, I can kind of pick it up and disperse it back into the side. Yeah, and yeah. Way it comes from.
2: So keep your eye out yeah. to see like a magnolia, <laughs> aluminium magnolia. Yeah. To me. <laughs> oh, and actually, some of them are made out of wax.
0: So in the process of casting, we usually need to cast wax piece, and one of some of the wax piece they have um, melted. Or wax is melted and poured it in, and they have other organic plant matter, so it's kind of like the solid wax afterwards have time capsule of uh, all the other plant matters. Mm. But I think the downstairs uh, tile is kind of amazing <coughs> for me. That <laughs> I like to, I wanted to install my wax in the way so that people kind of pay attention to what they don't usually pay attention to, mm-hmm. and
2: sort of be able to actually connect to the site, mm. yeah. This is a funny thing, but of course Teresa isn't with us, so I just mentioned, these are Teresa's works over here, the fish tank that's below, and then clearings ring, and then Chewy, which is on the wall, over there. And just to speak briefly to Teresa's process, she also is this sort of scavenging artist who's walking through the streets, who's paying attention to the kinds of things which are discarded and found on the pavements, and then she... In a process which I really found this week, like of course we had to install the work without her being present and she's been on the phone a lot and things so we've had heaps of guidance but I've realised what tenderly kind of constructed objects they are so she's found this discarded material and then she's made I guess you could say mobiles or suspended sculptures which I guess like literally elevate the materials up off the ground but they bring them into new kind of configurations and new relationships and I think if you look closely you sort of see like, like jewels are in there and I think it's her maybe just like asking us to reconfigure our vision as we walk through the streets or to notice things perhaps in the way that she notices them. This work here includes one so all the items are found, including like the fishing nylon, like everything that you can see right up to that, that wire, that support thing, but everything else she's, she's repurposed. With one exception, she made this boy form in the ceramic and that found a fish tank. To me it's like one is a playful work where she I don't know how many people know that, like the cattle troughs that you have in a rural environment and the boy which shows when the when there's drought temperatures or the water goes too low to like activate the pump again. I think in a way, I'm just going to speak for Teresa but we can always question this later, but perhaps she's thinking a little bit about the kinds of life that are supportable in, in a gallery and actually of course there's like temperature control in here and there's specifically things to make sure it doesn't get too moist there's like a I think up there would be checking the humidity all the time so in a way we had this funny conversation about the gallery trying to drink the work like it's trying to like get the water out of here and she's like no that is the work like you're not protecting the work and maybe just the way that uh, we build these environments for yeah for things to live in or to be protected and safe in but they're actually strangely odds with like life or one of the necessities of life like water thinking about again about the title and about this trip that we made together in a couple of months back we were all we walked into this empty space and I, I don't know if you can imagine but it's like quite airy and quite strange when its just an empty gallery and we're all quite yeah. fixated with the floor and with the various surfaces in here and the kind of airiness or bleak, bleakness of their space and mostly we stuck to this like collective decision to make work for the floor <laughs> with a few like notable exceptions up in that corner I think how did how did that sort of unfold for you like it was quite a big decision that quite... Interesting and weird, I think, that we were like, yeah, we'll make a show on the floor. How's that kind of unfolded in your in your process? Feel free to be frank.
3: I remember this conversation perfectly. Like, <laughs> I remember walking in, and then I looked at you, Kari, mm. and I was like, there's a carpet on the floor. Like, the space is carpeted, and we're just like a little bit scared because we have never actually worked with carpeted exhibition space spaces. Carpet, yeah, yeah.
0: So we are like, what are we gonna do?
3: We're like, we started off as like thought. I I remember thinking we're like, this is a crisis. Yeah, and but then we were like, okay, and then we like talked about it, and then. Mm-hmm. But then, I think something changed in, the, in my head. I was like, this is yeah. a great opportunity to use the carpet. Yeah. Like, what I think we, we all
0: sat down in the circle, yeah, on the carpet, and find out it's. Quite comfortable sitting there, <laughs> <laughs> and we got really familiarized with the space. And like, oh, actually, this is quite nice. This is quite
3: nice. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: for me, I usually make work based on the ground, so it wasn't. It was quite natural to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Projecting
3: on the. Mm. Well, the projection comes from. I think it was talking about what we usually do with Yukari, Sam and Teresa, who we'll have a more sculpture-based practice. And then I was thinking about also using the floor to break off some of the restrictions on showing video work. And I thought it w- wouldn't be nice if the pixels in my work matched up with the mm-hmm. grains on the carpet. And I suddenly got really into the side and Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Mm. Mm. What about you, Sam? You're like naturally floor dweller.
3: Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. I
1: feel like it was pretty easy for me. Like, I guess this is sort of finished Like, I, I my initial proposal was really interested in, in the city as a surface and the kind of. I think I talked about it like these islands, sort of like lily pads sitting on the surface. And for me, yeah, I just became really obsessed with the sort of permeability of that and how I think that this is what my work was kind of doing anyway Um, Mm. and I I feel like it wasn't much of a compromise for me, I was Mm. pretty lucky in that sense, Mm. yeah Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah I think we talked about the show not being like the walls being such a good site for like being able to consume work when you come in really fast and that's what we're all conditioned to do, going to galleries ultimately I think with the show like if you walk out and you're like looking at the ground, feeling your feet, like having a different kind of relationship to the site then that's something that's changed you know, That, that was something that we wanted to to put into the world. So I think, we'll, I think we'll draw it to a close. Thank you so much for listening in the middle of a, of a Friday right. night. Um, and really huge thank you to you guys. It's um, so much you brought into here and it's open now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> that was Yukari Kaihori, Susu and Sam Taos speaking about their work in our current exhibition, The Moon and the Pavement, which is on at Art Gallery until this Sunday, the 18th of September. Our thanks also go out to Teresa Collins for their work, although they were unable to be there for the talk. And now, here is my essay from Heavy Trees, Arms and Legs. I am battling with the ultimate vibration. Zorowit's song's attire and Nicola Farquhar's work in Heavy Trees, Arms and Legs. And if here I have to use words for you, they must create an almost exclusively bodily meaning. To tell you my substratum, I make a sentence of words composed only of the now instance. Clarice Lispector, Agua Viva, 1973. Look at Nicola Farqua's tree. It's triangular, mostly hard green, with red-orange rods that run down each of its sloping sides. In the centre is a grill like the baleen in a whale's mouth, flanked by two forms that look like books and two lit candles. Above that is a circle that is the moon. Above that, perhaps there is a white ice donut. Look at one of Sarawitzong attire's seaside town works. It's a cup filled with milk or made of white stone. Near the top, the white is replaced with a solid, honey-coloured wax layer, and it's full to the brim. Sunken into the wax are fish bones, vanilla and harakiki pods, grains of rice and pieces of pāwa shell. There are also artificial eyelashes and fingernails. Looking at it heightens other senses too. I see the wax and a grassy heat arrives with it. I see the bones and fingernails and remember what it feels like to carefully separate a fish skeleton from its flesh. And maybe looking is not enough. Reading this text is not how it feels to experience a tree or seaside town. None of these descriptions are satisfying they alienate parts of the whole from one another. They disrupt the sense of vitality I feel when standing in front of the works. Already, these works are so full of life. They are like a forest when no one is there, when the trees are breathing loud and maybe even walking around. I don't know for sure. I want a text to have enough space in it for that kind of life, for Clarice Lispector's ultimate vibration, in which the work is a body, a series of now-instants, an emotion. I want a text that allows us to understand the world or something we are part of, inside of us as we are inside of the world. When I look at this work, I swallow it too, or it swallows me. I propose considering Farquhar and Song Satire's works as a series of events or incidents that we move through, addressing each of the material elements through taste, texture, association and in relation to other texts. Conversely, I'm interested in the experience of writing and thinking about this work as if it was inside of us, occupying our mouth or stomach or bloodstream, rather than just existing for our eyes and brains. I'm motivated by the way this alternate mode, decentralised, transformative, processual, finds sympathy with ecological systems, biological systems, electrical systems, digestion and the weather. I'm interested in the space it makes for physical pleasure, for eccentricity, and for a shift in political understanding about how we situate ourselves in relation to the wider environment. What would you find inside of these works? How would it feel to be consumed by them? This belief system brings moving bodies into the frame. Heavy trees, arms and legs. Footnote 1. Crest. This is the work of Farquhar's that first made me imagine swallowing it, or being swallowed by it. There are two bright blue and red birds in the centre, something like the inside of a throat, tonsils revealed. A biscuit or planet balances on top of the work. The oil paint colours make me think it would be at first acidic to taste, then sweet like medicine, and perhaps even aftertaste like overripe fruit. The work would change colour effervescent as it met the enzymes and hydrochloric acid in your stomach, and the reaction would cause the feeling of a roller coaster, maybe. A surge of nervous energy. Imagining this series of transformations makes me think of the questions in Kim Hye-soon's poem of multiple selves or a microbiome at work in motion. Who's drawing up the water inside your body? Who's having sex inside your body? Who's shivering in the mud inside you? Who's heaving up water beneath the rock layers inside you? Footnote 2 Who is it that occupies your gut, labouring or being terrified or reproducing or having sex for fun? When you start to think about the work in relation to a series of biological processes, its physicality comes to the fore. Talk about the body. Don't ignore the senses. This is a note I wrote to myself when I was thinking about this project. The exhibition's title, Heavy Trees, Arms and Legs, is a line from Rebecca Tamas' poem, Palermo. In the poem, a sense of heaviness occurs in the state of all-consuming physical pleasure, that of the sea slug with its own containing joy. Footnote 3 It is another summer, 2020, and I'm reading Tamas' poem for the second time. I'd read it once before when it was first published and immediately sent it to my mum. I loved it so much. Rereading it now, it's idiosyncratic pacing like short breaths. I remember that it's all about sex and food. Peach lips with orvieto rubbed on them. Hot blood bubbling up from all this. These are things that are often left out of art writing, even when it's ostensibly focused on the body. I don't think that Farquhar and Song Sataya's works have forgotten that these things are part of the body's life. We had started with minutes. We loved their fullness, cells flowing through this body of time, purging all but their passing through us, and our letting them flow through. Years pulled their lengths through us, and we hung on to them. They strung us a ways along and up, and they kept us from drowning in the terrible minutes. Footnote 4. Seaside Town is five Wamaru stone sculptures, three small and two large. The small works weigh 65 kgs each, the larger 150 kgs. After the crate that had carried it from Song Sataya Studio in Fanganui Atara to the Suta Gallery in Whakatu, Nelson, was unloaded from the track. To move each work around the gallery, we had to kneel on the floor and very gently wrestle with it. I found that I had to go slow and almost imagine it was a heavy part of my own body or someone else's that I could not bear to bruise or scratch. Even with the care taken, fine particles of the limestone could be seen on the plastic after it was removed from the base. I imagine even smaller ones may have been on our skin and cotton gloves. There are many points of commonality between this work and the human body once you start to think of it that way. Limestone is a sedimentary rock made of time tiny fossils, shell fragments, calcified. It's bone too. Embedded in the wax, as well as fish bones and scales, there are the fake nails, eyelashes. These are plastic, but bear a slightly melancholy relationship to body parts, idealised and immortalised. Gleaming shell pink nails that would belong to a mermaid. Black, RuPaul-length lashes. They're things to be worn rather than growing organically. Suggesting the body can be a site of transformation, the accumulation of identities, narrative. Limestone is a body. This is not a new thought or way of understanding the world. In Aotearoa, the Waitaha tribe of Te Waipaunamu recognise Wamaru stone as the bones of the Atua Wahine Henitua Huanga, particularly through a story in which she allows her back to be used as a grindstone. Footnote 5 Korero from Teika'a Maui also mentions Hinetua Huanga. Footnote 6. Song brought this to my attention during their research for the project. It was part of a conversation with friend Ana Iti, whose recent work, The Woman Whose Back Was a Whetstone 2021, also addresses Hinetua Huanga. Inside of each of the seaside town works, there are also thousands of years. Limestone and Aotearoa is thought to have been formed during the Oligocene, 23 to 34 million years ago. The other materials in the work are also long-lasting. Beeswax, used to seal up sarcophagi, has survived thousands of years. The wax and some work will likely endure long into the future. Plastic lives on too. Today's fake fingernails and eyelashes will be part of the midden we leave behind. Swallow this work. I think you might taste the residual hint of crustaceans, even just slightly, like something that has been stored on a shelf with shrimp crackers. In the throat it would be coarse, rough as crust gets and gritty too. Sitting in the stomach as it digests, heavy but soluble like disparate over time. Ruffage. Would it clear out your insides like fibre? Would it go through you? Am I thinking about swallowing or being swallowed by the work? Surely something must be excreted. I think of Jory Graham's line about the way years go into our bodies, purging all but their passing through. Swallow and I think you'll taste grief. Or mourning too. For the full minutes and the terrible ones. And the awareness that limestone is older than us all. A reason to hold on to it like an anchor, like ballast, and not like anything else at all. Just a rock. I think of Song work, and I think of the fish bones. Almost translucent, strong like plastic, but fragile like matchsticks. In the work, the fish bones are a small element, almost submerged in the yolk-coloured wax, but they are also a primary narrative reference, linking the work to Song experience of visiting their uncle's cuttlefish factory on the coast in Thailand. After the Heavy Trees project, the artist made another fishbone work, a digital animation thrown onto a fan using high-density LED lights, creating a holographic effect. Footnote 8. In my memory of the seaside town work, this projection whirs above it somehow in constant motion, like a kite, or like a ghost. For as long as we'd been speaking about this project, Farquhar had been occasionally emailing me pieces of her writing. Some of them were included in this publication. It seems to me that there's no point in making hard distinctions between these and Farquhar's paintings. That is, they too concern the body as a system, finely organised and with many points of connection with the greater biosphere. Many fruits appear, and insides are not clearly distinguishable from outsides. Often, organs are on the outside of the body, and the world of the text is shaped by the internal life of the narrator. I could assume this narrator is Faqua, composed of fruit and vegetables, organs and liquids and gases, but there's room for more than one self in these texts. In both Fakwa's texts and paintings, recurring motifs... Eyes, moons, stomachs, wax candles, birds, strawberries, irregular geometric structures and background are deeply entangled. Plaster sculptures, often balancing on the canvases they accompany, suggest the dynamic state of all matter, the transformative possibilities of mould, melt, scab and fossil. All Farquhar's works belong to a warming and climatically unstable planet, in this work, there's also the heaviness of grief and the recognition that we live in an ecologically compromised world. That contemporary capitalism exists in blunt violation of our relationship to the earth. It's 2022 now, and last year Aotearoa had its highest temperatures on record. I don't want to write about art anymore without writing about its connection to the world in this most pressing sense. And if one was swallowed by the work? Dark, Yes. But the kind of darkness in which you can see for miles, or well, something can. I remember Merlin Sheldrake's writing on fungi. The soil was a horizonless external gut, digestion and salvage everywhere, flocks of bacteria surfing on waves of electrical charge, chemical weather systems, subterranean highways, slimy infective embrace, seething intimate contact on all sides. Footnote 9. Tellingly, the depiction of the system immediately relies on images of other systems. Everything is in motion, and the border between internal and external is no longer relevant. I'm sitting at the table on a cool summer afternoon, when everyone has gone for ice cream. I'm sitting here to write, but so content I can hardly make my fingers type. I would happily sleep, or just stare out at the harbour, dark green around the edges where the trees meet the rocks. Ask myself again, why write in relation to this work at all? With heavy trees, arms and legs, I think it matters to try. While these works are complete, they also exist in relation to each other, and to myriad events and processes in the wider world. Words can act as carriers for some of these relationships, articulating material in you, or drawing new lines between things and us. Language has its capacity, perhaps because language is something that we embody. It's in our mouths, ears and bodies, our hands as well as in our brains. In this sense, language, and maybe especially metaphorical language, has a way of reminding us that we are in the world only as much as we are of the world, that we are made up of our relationships. Writing in parallel to the work is one way of materialising this, and more, it makes space for trying out new ways of relating to each other. In Agua Viva, Lispector writes of the search for the exclusively Bodily meaning composing sentences by stringing together the instants which comprise physical experience, I'm drawn by this as a narrative to account for the bodily response that works like song satires and fakwa's elicit in me. Finally, I realize it's about listening too that the ultimate vibration or closer to home te or te footnote ten is the frequency that connects our bodies with the works the energy that exists between us. It's not easy to put this kind of energy into words. The spectre's battle is relatable. How can I tell you about what this work feels like to experience? I can only return to the work and try. It is heavy, weighted by gravity, and there is darkness in the layering of the material sealed in between the layers of wax and stone. It is light too, with pieces like rice crackers and two pink candles or fireworks ready to ignite. Fly. Footnote 1. Rebecca Tamas, Palumo, London Review of Books, 40, number 19, 11 October 2018. Footnote 2. Kim Soon, Hearts Exile, Day 47. Translated by Don Mee Choi, Stronger Than Bone, On Feminisms. Edited by Daphne Ayers, Natasha Ginwala and Jill Winder. Berlin, Archive Books and Gwangju Biennale Foundation, 2021. Footnote 3. Samas Palomo, 2018. Footnote 4. Jory Graham to 2040. London Review of Books 43, Number 6, 18 March 2021. Footnote 5. For a contemporary retelling of the Hine Huanga story, see Hemi Kali, Rata, in Puraako, Māori Myths Retold by Māori Writers, edited by Witi Ihimaira and Fiti Hereaka, Auckland, Penguin, 2019. Footnote 6. Te Ahu Karamu, Charles Royal, First Peoples in Māori Tradition, Ancestors from the Natural World, Te Ara, The Encyclopedia of New Zealand, Accessed 11 January 2022. Footnote 7. Ana Iti's work, The Woman Whose Back Was a Whetstone, it was commissioned for Swallowing Geography. Matt Pinay, Shona Rapiro Davies, Kate Newby, Ana Iti, curated by Megan Tarmacy Cornell, Covered Brewster Art Gallery, Ngamotu, New Plymouth, 8 October 2021 to 13 February 2022. Footnote 8. Song Satire's work, Skinned, 2021, was included in a second iteration of Heavy Trees, Arms and Legs at Coastal Signs, Samaki Makoto, from 30 July to 9 October 2021. A further development of Song Satire's fishbone work is included in this publication. Footnote 9. Merlin Sheldrake, cited in Francis Gooding, From Its Myriad Tips, London Review of Books 43, Number 10, 20 May, 2021. Footnote 10. I first heard these words, Te Oro o as the title of sound artist Rachel Shira's PhD. Te Oro o Te ao, the resounding of the earth. Tamaki Makoto, Auckland University of Technology Thesis, 2018. About listening to the earth, listening with one's whole body. Shearer writes, Te Oro o Te ao, engages listening at the threshold of the audible and the inaudible, encompassing spaces and ideas that surround frequencies. A related discussion of Shira's work can be found in Cassandra Barnett, Listen Your Way Home, RT Journal of Māori Art, 1, 2019. A reminder that you can purchase a copy of Heavy Trees, Arms and Legs for $35 plus shipping from our online shop or in person at the Physics Room Gallery. This is also the final weekend to see Pakanga for the Lost Girl by Heidi Brickell in our gallery at 301 Montreal Street in the Art Centre's Registry Editions building, Ototahi. Next week, we will be opening an exhibition by Jara Wasasala, who is the 2022 Macmillan Brown Centre for Pacific Studies, Artists in Residence. The exhibition will open on Friday, the 23rd of September at 6pm. We look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening tune in again next month on Friday the 18th of October at 8pm for our next episode of Art Not Science Mā te wa.